chapter 4 we are now beginning chapter 5 so um, nothing to revise from the last uh, satsang so let's go ahead and anyone can start up with uh, any of your aha moments and we can trigger off this discussion okay um I have prepared some notes, um, but um, I will go if nobody else is starting, right? And uh, <clears throat> just help me in this journey because I'm directly starting from chapter five. So I may be having some uh, questions as I go along, but uh, I will try and you know put this across in a presentation. Can I have the sharing rights? I mean, share screen, yeah. Okay, I got it. Thank you. How do I make? How do I do that? No, no, no. I think, oh, no, I think got, he's got, he's got, he's got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you see the slide? Yes. Okay. So just a few notes. I think, um, I think the worst one of chapter five, uh, refers to the confusion that Arjuna still has, uh, because there have been constant references in the earlier chapters, especially chapter three and chapter four, where I think Krishna speaks about renunciation of actions is better and nobler than you know performing the actions like the yajnas. But towards the end of chapter four, he concludes saying that performance of action is uh, you know important. So this leaves Arjuna with a some kind of perplexity, uh, uh, perplexity. Uh, where he's trying to understand whether it is renunciation of action or performance of action, which is important and therefore seeks a solution from Krishna. Um, as far as verse two is going, um, I think what the Lord says is that in spirit or the goal, um, you know, what is to be achieved is one and the same. The only differ in the process, right? Uh, as far as renunciation of action and performance of action is concerned, he says both of them lead to mukti, which is freedom. But he definitely establishes the fact that performance of action is far superior. Um, when I was reading Swami you know's lecture, he explains this you know, with an example. So he says that you know, going to Badri Ashrama in the interior of Himalayas can be reached either by plane or by foot. Right? When you travel by plane to that place, it is what is referred to as a karma sannyasi yoga, where you renounce everything and you go there. The second is basically when you travel by foot, which is karma yoga. He says the latter is far superior for the only simple reason that it enriches the experience and the fruitful connect that the devotee has. right? And a lot of experience is gained in this, in this path. And a lot of possibilities emerge of the human being being processed to perfection and finally finds a communion with the Lord. 
So this is what he refers to as basically, you know, uh, the more better and the superior path. Similarly, Ramakrishna also says that, you know, between the sadhakas who want to escape the turmoil of the world, they are only second to those who want to serve the world. So it's very clear that, you know, in both these, uh, you know, sort of commentaries, they emphasize the fact that, you know, being in the world and performing the actions in the world, but being, you know, of the world and not being in the world is what is, you know, solicited as a superior path. Not that one is definitely uh, deriding the, you know, karma sannyas yoga, but he says that, you know, the karma yoga is what actually, you know, sort of is far superior to the other path that is being established here. And as we go further, um, you know, the karma sannyasi yoga also, he says, has its own reward, but the blessings are that of quietitude and tranquility ensues from it. But what we know is if somebody is performing some action in the world, action is a state of disturbance and, you know, it disturbs the equilibrium. So one needs to sort of evolve the way, you know, to be able to come out of it and seek, you know, mukti or freedom from bondage. In verse 3, Chinmayananda says that, you know, participation is much easier than renunciation. And then he goes on to define who is a sannyasin. The sannyasin is one who neither hates or desires. He is free from the pair of opposites. And that really sets him free from bondage. And when you talk about, you know, uh, coming out of the pair of opposites, it can only come when one has transcended the mind and the intellect, because it is through the mind and intellect that one understands the importance of either light or darkness, okay, and the pair of opposites. <clears throat> As we go further, what he says is, um, he's not a sannyasin, somebody who's running away uh, you know, from his worldly duties uh, is not necessarily considered a sannyasin because here actually selfishness masquerades itself as self-denial. And somebody who delights in escaping from duty is also somebody who's mistaken the inertia in himself as equilibrium. And therefore he says that karma yogi is a proof against imaginary quietitude, which means that in the midst of intense <clears throat> activities, he's free from likes and dislikes. And therefore, he is not the agent. He is being in the world, but he is not of the world. And hence, he says a karma yogi is a true sannyasi. This is uh, verse number three. And I also tried to put together some thoughts, which I think uh, Chinmayananda speaks about the spiritual process of self-evolution. So here again, I think the first is, you know, if left alone, all human beings would probably prefer to be in a very indolent state, not doing any actions or activity. So for them to be getting out of this state, it is important to whip themselves with some desire initially. And once a desire is whipped in, there is a lot of activity that comes out of it and frees one's self from say mental and intellectual inertia. And as they go further in the second stage, when much is achieved, he becomes tired of these desire motivated activities and feels happiness and energy in doing activities with a noble cause. Here is when the ego is subdued and he becomes to exhaust all his vasanas. So all of us are born with vasanas uh, into this world. And one way of coming out of it is by doing selfless uh, dedication and service to others. And last is when he moves to stage three, which is when he unloads all his vasanas and extinguishes all his vasanas is when he, you know, you know, starts to build and develop wings of meditation 
and is able to take longer flights into the subtle realms of joy and peace and experience bliss. And in the last verse that for today, I think uh, they again talk about, you know, how does one turn ordinary action into divine action? There are two parts here. One is a renunciation of the concept of agency that I'm not the doer. And the second one is renunciation, the fruits of action saying that, which is karma palatyagam, which we spoke about earlier. And one says that it is not easy to form the Sankhya, follow the Sankhya Yoga because one needs to be in a complete state of awareness and understand how the universe works collectively. So he says the easier one is obviously to follow the path of action. And then finally, he concludes saying that, you know, the path of knowledge and path of action are not very different from each other. Like we spoke about in verse, verse two, where they say that the fruit for both are the same. It's just that the process, which is slightly different. And uh, towards the next verse, which is chapter five, I think they talk about the fact that it is either, you know, you know something and do it, or you do something and then know, get to know it. Uh, both of them are interchangeable. Uh, so right understanding emanates from right doing and right doing actually gives you to right knowing. So essentially saying the theory and practice are interrelated, interrelated and inter interdependent and hence the paths of say, um, you know, uh, jnana and karma are not very different. Okay, so that is that is my understanding of this. Maybe, uh, you know, people can just add on to this. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful, uh, Subhu. You know, when you put that uh, slide which says, uh, um, you know, uh, I think there's one slide which says that, you know, people do selfish activities first and then yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, selfless activities and then get into meditation. Yeah. The analogy that struck me was like, you know, I end up watching TV morning to evening on a lazy day. And then you, because of the tiredness of that, uh, not having done anything, I'm sure all of us have experienced that we end up sleeping, but that quality of sleep is very different than the quality of sleep that you get after you go out to the gym or, you know, do a vigorous exercise, then come back and sleep. So I think that's, that's a very <clears throat> powerful slide. What you put, they put yeah, there. Yeah. He says it in the lecture also, you know, I, uh, you know, went through the, some of the lectures, I think there is Gita 360 where there is an app available. Uh, I think many of you might have seen it, right? So in that also, he says, you know, first it is important to whip in desires to, you know, uh, initiate activity because the path of jnana is like that 0.00001%, you know, 99.9999% is the karma yogi path. So for the karma yogi to, you know, first exhaust his vasanas, it is important to whip him with desires. And then he's unstoppable. So he, he goes on to, you know, continue to do things in a certain way but later gets motivated by the fact that he needs to do selfless and, you know, because he's no longer motivated by desired oriented actions. He starts to participate in other, you know, uh, service activities. And that is when the vasanas get extinguished and then a person moves into, you know, deep state of meditation. I think it was very wonderfully put. I thought uh, even I liked it a lot, Rajesh. Yeah. 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 And, and another thing that struck me was like, you know, yeah, know and do and do and know both are interchangeable, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah. Here, is a, here is a big uh, dilemma and a question. The question is, you know, people who know and do, it's a li little bit, if, if they follow the sequence, know and do, it's a little bit more easier. But do and know, I think there's an intermediate step. Okay, people will have to be first motivated to do it. And that's that's a huge problem, you know, when people have to change their attitude. For example, you ask someone to, 
uh, and I, I have this discussion with, uh, you know, I've got two teens at home and uh, their cousins have come home. And, uh, you know, we had this discussion saying that, when do you sleep and when do you wake up? And it's, it's, it's kind of an nebulous. When I say you need to wake up early in the day, the point is, uh, why? Why should I do it? I'll sleep whenever I want to sleep. I'll wake up whenever I want to wake up where. But the point is, if somebody understands the logic as to why you need to wake up early and, uh, you know, but that people will go through the phases. Likewise, even in, even in, even in the entire paths, what we, what we take on the spiritual uh, journey, I think the very fact that knowing is not that easy. Correct. But at the same time, there's inertia to, you know, quote unquote, follow because that's, that becomes blind faith. So how do you break the dilemma? Yeah. See, actually, if I have to go back to growing years, right? I think all of us were told to do a certain things in a certain way. For example, last week you spoke about Sandhya Vandana, right? Did we know the importance of Sandhya Vandana or the understanding of why we do certain things in a certain way? Really not. Yeah. But when you do a certain set of activity, I know that when I was doing Sandhya Vandana, when I was a kid, and when especially I chanted the Gayatri Mantra, something in me told me that the Gayatri Mantra is a very, very powerful mantra. Yeah. And uh, nobody had to explain it to me, but I just experienced it that it was a mantra which was beyond, you know, description for me. Right. But today when I read about the Gayatri Mantra and what people have spoken about the Gayatri Mantra, I'm able to appreciate it even better. Right. Um, so, yes, I think uh, knowledge doesn't come so easily also to everybody. But maybe in the early steps, you know, maybe one needs to probably do and know and maybe do it in a certain way. And uh, maybe as one progresses, one can understand the importance of this and also enhance the belief and the faith in this much better. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. yeah. I also yeah. like the distinction made between uh, knowing and understanding in the slide, right? Where you say first understand, do, uh, then again know. From doing one of your slides, very yeah, clear. it said it's it basically says right understanding leads to right doing. Okay. And mm -hmm. then it says right doing uh you know leads to right knowing. That's that's what it is uh, described in the in one of the books which I read. So what did actually what I understood of it is um you know <laughs> how do I say it? It is um you can use a personal example in shape. Yeah, so right understanding. Um, how do I put this? Understanding is more like an academic knowledge or a theoretical knowledge. Knowing yeah, yeah, that's what I, I would tend to believe. I'm, I'm trying to really struggle to give an example here. But uh, what I took from that was, yes, you understand certain things in a certain way. And then you start doing certain things. But once you starting to do certain things, you try to become that, you know. You, then there is a very deep sense of uh, higher understanding that you develop. That's that's the kind of, uh, you know, uh, relation I took from that, you know. The knowing they refer to here is yeah. uh, higher knowing knowledge. of the ultimate or are they talking about knowing of uh, how we uh, kind of uh, renounce the fruit of the, um, you know, of in, any action, right? Is, is that the knowing they're talking about? Or is it the ultimate? I, I thought it is much more deeper than the understanding that you had in the first phase. Understanding relating to, uh, you know, doing and then doing leading into higher knowing, you know. Um, so knowing for me was more like a 
um, a deeper understanding of the first you know aspect that was there yeah i would think so too uh, i think uh, uh, the way that i have understood that is like you know uh, maybe you know we uh, all the people who invest in stock market will probably resonate with this uh, why we buy a particular stock has to be very clear and more importantly why we sell is has to be clear when when that logic is clearly known in the mind it's very easy to buy and sell without without getting stuck in that process of uh, you know why we do it yeah. the most important problem is we don't know why we are doing something yeah i i think that's where experience teaches us better uh, you know understanding of the subject right i think something to do with that maybe is a point that is being referred to there yeah. Yeah. you sure you had a hand raised yeah a uh, couple of points actually on this uh, one uh, between uh, uh, what we are calling as theory and practice so to me the way i understand it is uh, it, it goes hand in hand it is not sequential right so um uh, yeah, the knowing or the knowing the theory really um, uh, but without practice is kind of incomplete but practice is impossible without theory right and so um but in some ways like uh, when you look at um, you might come across people who are selflessly doing a lot of work but they may not know that it's hatha yoga or uh, they are actually following this right but then when they get to know it uh, they're probably um, the the way the quality of their work becomes even deeper so um, yeah it is possible that in some cases so uh, that, that they are actually practicing it but then they get to know this and then it gets even better so The, uh, the other point uh, I wanted to make, uh, the main point was, you know, you you pointed out how we um, all start off uh, with a lot of inertia. So yet another way of explaining this is through gunas, right? As we spoke in the last um, uh, chapter. So uh, my understanding is that all of us are heavily thamastic initially, right? So. Uh, in, in, in as human beings, we are heavily thamastic, and as we, uh, and the goal is to become predominantly satvic, so that we can understand this even better. So, um, how do you do that? It has to go through rajas. So initially, there is inertia, and when you whip up your desires, as you call it, uh, um, and then more selfish. Initially, it is selfish desires, and that's okay, because then it pulls you out of, uh, uh, you know. Um, Because rituals typically 
have hey, yeah, if you do this, then you get that, and if you do this other thing, you get something else, and so on. It, it is ripping up desires. It is getting you to become, um, you know, yeah, a, a lot of selfish desires are being generated, but with the intention of pulling you out of summer, right? So I just want to point that another way in which all this gets linked uh, into the same concept. Well said, Kishore. Well said, Alpana. Yeah, it's not related to this topic. So if anybody else has a comment, then. Just only one point, you know, so I understood from the Guna perspective, what Kishore explained, but why, how did you bring in the Varna part there, uh, Kishore, I didn't understand. So like, why do you, is, is Tamsik always related to uh, Gunshutra? I mean, is, is that how it is? Yeah, uh, so it is. Like, uh, uh, Satya, like if you look at um, how, uh, Swami B explains this, right? So, uh, a Guna Brahmana is somebody who, who, who you know, it, it has SRT as in, he uses the word SRT. Basically, Sattva is predominant, followed by Rajas, and then Tamas, right? And um, uh, then it is uh, RST for Kshatriya, RTS for Vaishya, and, and TRS for Shudra, right? So, uh, when we look at it from a Guna perspective. So those are the how the varnas are explained. So it really depends on which guna is predominant in us. So when initially we we are heavily tamasic, and to move us uh, uh, through this ladder, um, you know activities are prescribed and that takes us there. But at some point you got to drop those activities, the selfish activities, and move on to the next. Just like um, you know you use a a boat to cross the river, but then you don't carry it along when you are done with that, right? So uh, in some ways, that's um, how the Varnas, as I understand it, uh, others please feel free to add to it. But that's how I understand uh, how Varnas are related to Varnas. So, Kuba, just to clarify that thing, right? I think the, with the reference to that, uh, that uh, Varnas there is basically to clarify that uh, just because one is born in a Brahmin community doesn't make him an automatic Brahmin or someone who's born in a Shudra community doesn't make him an automatic Shudra. It is entirely dependent on the gunas, the mental qualities, what the person has. That's why that, that reference is used like that. Yeah, I, I, I get it. So anyway, so I'll think over it more on this. Okay, Alpana. Yeah, um, so it was uh, related to the the opening one, Subhu. I think where you mentioned that uh, uh, Krishna has mentioned at some places that samyas is better than karma. Actually, he's not mentioned samyas is better than karma. It is more of Gyan Yoga is better than karma Yoga, as it came in second chapter. That you know, uh, eventually the the goal is to get the Gyan and be free. So it was a comparison between Gyan and uh, Karma Yoga. So that's why the question asked in third chapter was whether Gyan Yoga is better or Karma Yoga is better. And then he had fourth chapter after that. So in this particular chapter, actually the question is not whether the Gyan and it's not the same question that the sannyasi who's on the path of Gyan is Gyan better than Karmio, that's not the question. So actually the question he's asking is more from the lifestyle perspective. 
इज इट बेटर टू बी सन्यासी और इज इट बेटर टू बी अ कर्मयोगी लिविंग इन द गृहस्थ सो दैट्स द क्वेश्चन ही इज ट्राइंग टू ट्राइंग टू गेट द आंसर टू इन दिस पर्टिकुलर चैप्टर सो आई जस्ट वॉन्ट टू क्लैरिफाई दैट बिकॉज इन द फोर्थ चैप्टर इफ यू रिमेंबर आई थिंक फोर्टी वन श्लोका वेयर आई थिंक ही मैंशंस दैट यू नो यू नो through yog then you get to the sanyas of karma and i think we went through the description that it is more of um, i think what you mentioned that as a sankhya yogi you know the you you take sanyas of the ownership of the action so that's actually how he's trying to explain um, even in this chapter and and that's where he then goes into you know um, whether the um, the sankhya yogi way or the karma yogi way where you give up the fruits of action or you give up the um the the doership so those are the two so they are essentially the they are essentially similar thing uh to go to to make you uh more eligible to get the gyan actually that's what most of vedans will call it um, so so the eventual goal will be the same through gyan but to get to there and uh i think we've discussed this a few times there's a matrix so if the problem is that you have uh, ignorance then gyan is the solution where you go for the gyan but if you have uh, uh, you know mal which is more of uh, a lot of rag dwesh and uh, you know all the negative qualities that we talk about then karma yoga is the best way to do the shuddhikaran of the antahakaran and but if the if the problem is uh, that you cannot focus on something then uh, upasana is the solution meditation which will come in the next chapter which was the third step in your in your that uh, that beautiful thing <coughs> that you have put together so i thought i'll just clarify that part. sure thank thanks uh, alpana just just one question i had uh, when you are when he is referring to sankhya yoga is it the gyana yoga that he is talking about yeah yeah okay it's not sankhya philosophy but it is sankhya or is more of gyan so essentially at this point till this point in time we've just been speaking about karma yoga and sankhya yoga gyan yoga right only these two are getting spoken about right the chapter 2 was uh, sankhya yoga chapter 3 okay. was karma yoga chapter 4 is the knowledge uh, how you can renounce the actions and then okay. chapter 5 is the difference between renouncing taking the sanyas ashram versus uh, you know staying in the staying in the world and performing world and acting without acting. any Uh, understood thanks thanks for the clarity the way the way i understood it uh, and and just building on what alpana said is that both so this is really a conversation around should i be a grahastha or should i be a sanyasi and i think uh, and i noticed kind of you you talked about uh, the path of renunciation and part path of action right in your second slide i think subhu yeah my understanding is that you know this is a a kind of a, a lifestyle question which depends on your sort of nature in terms of what suited for you so you know whether you go down the family path which is grahastha or you go down the sanyasi path but both of these paths are actually paths of action it's not as if sanyasa yoga is not a path of action it is also a path of action and uh, in some ways both of them sort of in a way come under the karma yoga sort of category in my head because both of them will do the chitta shuddhi in your in their own ways which will then lead you to the path of gyana uh, and and so 
so if somebody becomes a sannyasi it doesn't mean that he has become he's got jnana jnana is the next step uh, so in both these cases both the lifestyles that either of the lifestyle that you choose you do action you cleanse yourself and then kind of you know and get on the path of jnana well said beautiful just yeah. before yeah manu we go to you um so so the two lifestyles that you're saying that one is the sankhya yogi which is a sanyas way or grihastha way so the sanyasi is one who who is committed to just the priority in life is moksha nothing else that should that's the one who can be called as a sankhya yogi uh, whereas the grihastha can have both he can be a seeker or he can be a normal sansari also so so those two options are available they don't necessarily need to be uh, on the path and there is an intermediate step also trial try by error vanaprastha <laughs> yeah so uh, so actually they say the moment you get vairagya you should take sanyas <laughs> till then yeah. grihastha is the better option yeah. because it in is fact, uh, yeah <laughs> in, in fact uh, what i was i was hearing i think swami p say this he says look these are two paths one is the grihastha path one is the sanyasi path so if somebody like a swami p or swami spg have taken the sanyasi path majority of us take the grihastha path, path. but he said the if you go by the old scriptures you actually kind of do the grihastha first so it's a two step process you do grihastha get your sort of family things done and settled and 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 done with and then you get on the path of sanyasa and maybe alpana that might be a time when you kind of get you've kind of experienced all your desires and you've kind of come to the stage of vairagya and then you you kind of transition into the path of uh, of sanyasa Uh, so if you go by the the four ashramas that's kind of the sequence uh, but he said you know people who take the sanyasi path just go down the sanyasi path in the in, in the current age day and age and people who do the grihastha path they finish their duties and they continue with the grihastha side of it so they have sort of you know grandchildren and all the family kind of obligations but at certain point the vairagya hits them and they also get on the path of of jnana yeah manu i think whatever i was going to say has been answered by this discussion because i was going to ask about the four ashrams in connection with you know um the the path that is described here with the you know desire led activities and desire less activities and and then the sanya so i'm good thank you in fact that the the aha moment for me as i read through some of the commentaries was i had always associated you know sanyasa with no action for some reason it's just my kind of mind which didn't get it right but sorry sanyasa, can you say it again i i missed yes. what you said i always thought that you know if you go down the path path of sanyasa you are not doing action whereas the yeah. karma is being done only karma yoga is only done by the agrahasta for example and not by a sanyasi who's renounced everything even they are doing action they are also doing uh, karma yoga in their own sort of way and uh, and and yeah so to me that was like a kind of an important sort of inflection point in my head that both of them are doing karma it's just that the path is different which is which is driven by their by their sort of inclinations or the, the equally the other thing which i i think which struck me was that we talk about desires uh, i think even the sanyasis have desires right uh, much like grihasthas except that perhaps the the sanyasis are able to deal with their desires in a more uh, balanced way whereas they are not, they are un, unaffected by their desires kind of being met or not whereas as grihasthas we are 
uh, obviously kind of in this loop of you know you know you know having desires and kind of having them fulfilled and if not then we kind of struggle with all the negative virtues so here uh, only when you're enlightened then you don't have any duties exactly exactly so in my head i always thought you know sanyasi equal to enjoy equal to an svg is equal to enlightened sorry so that was obviously not right so uh, i am I'm, i'm reminded of uh, um something that uh, swami p used to say so it is not that uh, um, the question is not about is uh, nana yoga good or karma yoga good right and that kind of question is how it is usually framed unfortunately but he says okay it's like asking the question yeah yeah you want to fly from new york to san francisco you have to first take the car and you know reach the airport and then from there you have to take a flight so it's like asking somebody is taking the car better or is it uh, is the flight better right but in the the question is wrong there because both are necessary depending on where you are on the on the journey right so if you're already at the airport then you don't need the car um you take the flight so um in that analogy but basically it is that unless your mind is fairly mature and and uh, devoid of a lot of these impurities and it's fairly tranquil um very less uh, what do you say waves on the surface of the water uh, and it's fairly pure unless you are in that state how can you absorb or even be interested in the uh, in nana yoga right and what uh, uh, that has to offer right so you want to even be interested in the path leave alone actually spending time on it so but for somebody who is already in that state uh, where um, they are the mind is fairly pure nana yoga comes more easily right so uh, so it is not that this or that and it is the question of where we are and um and is trying to handle uh, people who are in different parts of this journey uh, you know stages of this journey so just yeah stating yeah. yeah i mean i mean the only point kishore is that that's that's the question which was in the previous chapter whether it is karma yoga or gyana yoga i think right. this this the first four verses i think or three verses actually are really focused on 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 the lifestyle okay Yeah, yeah. the lifestyle which is you know whether you should you should become a sanyasi which kind of seems easy to begin with of course but it obviously it is not right and whether you become a grahastha and do do karma yoga that way that's right yeah yeah so i have a question in stanza 2 when he's talking about karma and karma sanyasi um i don't know whether i understood this very clearly and so i'm bringing it up he says Uh, uh participation is far more superior than renunciation is it because of what follows there in terms of likes dislikes and you know maintaining that stability which is easier in the being a sanyasi to do but is difficult when you are participating in the action is that why he calls it a more superior than the other what i have read from various commentaries it is because of the ease it's not easy to take sanyas and actually do it so for most people uh, participation is a better way to get fully prepared and then get into the sanyas when you have complete vairagya otherwise it's very hard because the uh, way i understood shamla is that uh, uh, the renunciation of action fully could also be due to other reasons like indolence or uh you know uh, uh or other factors right 
So you may think that you're giving up action, but it may be due to, uh, you know, tamasic uh, nature of the individual. But if you go the path of karma yoga, then you are getting rid of your vasanas first, and then you embark on to uh, renunciation if required. Yeah, so the sequence is understood, but why is he calling it far more? He is calling karma yoga far more superior than karma sannyasa. I thought, yeah, that is difficult. Arpana, you are right. So that's a slightly different dimension. But why is he still categorizing? You know, the way probably I understood is there is a lot much more neutralizing that's happening in going to that path. See, to know that one is good or bad is a very academic knowledge, back to our understanding and knowing kind of a difference. Being in the middle of people, being in an ecosystem and keeping that perspective and you know implementing it is far more difficult. Removing yourself from the situation is actually easier. If you have to stay there and still provide that perspective and, and you know react to it in a more stable manner is difficult. Is that the subtle point being made? Yes. Go through this. Yes. Condition yourself, neutralize all of this. And so this is a far more superior state. Is that how it is? It should be interpreted? Yes. Correct. So one of the so one of the things that I read about uh, karma, sorry, karma yogi and karma sannyasa is that a karma yogi would do both spiritual and social activities or social duties. Whereas a karma sannyasi would only do spiritual duties typically, which kind of makes it, uh, I don't know whether that's, the right way to think about it but that you know in a way sort of if you are in the in the worldly ways as a karma yogi you are not only thinking about yourself but the wider uh, community and influencing a lot more people as opposed to a karma sannyasi who's kind of just renounced everything he's doing his actions but essentially he's on the path of spirituality which means that his so that is that's how i understood the difference between the two that's a good way. Very good way. Yeah, and and I guess it is uh, something we can do here and now, right? So start taking those steps right away, rather than waiting for some, you know, something else to happen. So it 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 spurs us to action right now. Yeah, yeah. And Shavala, I think one other point is that you know I don't think uh, in, in no no man is an island. So there are a lot of people who are either looking up to us or uh, we are looking up to some other people and we probably will have to quote unquote, you know, set an example, the right example to people who especially who look up to us, let's say our children, right? You know, you can't do some things and get into an imposter syndrome and suddenly become sannyasi and then, you know, in the mind you're still thinking about all the things that you have not achieved and all that stuff. Then that sets a wrong example for the next gen to say, okay, with 23, 24, this is sannyas. That's not going to work. Good. No, uh, uh, sure. I was uh, about to add to this. Um, if if the goal is uh, mental purity, um, then we can also look at uh, a, a, an active lifestyle in society as providing a lot more opportunities to do, do so um, uh, versus in the sannyas ashram where the, as, as uh, described there, I mean, the experiences, the type of people, the, the type of activities would be limited to, uh, fairly limited compared to uh, 
the householders. So the opportunity also would be much higher we, if we look at it as an opportunity, right? Because if the goal is um, a, a purity of the mind, then here are more opportunities, right? So that could also be another way of looking at it as, a, as an advantage over the other one. Hey, um, if I may add, uh, I was just going to add to that. I think um, somewhere uh, later on, uh, Arjuna actually asked Krishna, why don't I just leave everything and I, I'll just go the sannyasi route? Or yeah. I can renounce everything, I don't want to do this. So this might be a clever uh, preemption that don't, <clears throat> don't think that you can do that. And Guntax is exactly what you said, like, although you might renounce physical action, the mind is still at play and it, it keeps on going. It never stops, right? So, and Arjuna is probably not even close to being qualified to go the sannyasi route. So this might be a clever trick to say that uh, this karma yoga is superior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I also read this maybe in, in, in Swami C's book only saying that at that point of time, what was uh, essential for Krishna to tell Arjuna is to clarify him to make sure that he's fighting. But I also read somewhere else saying that when he was again giving the same gyan to Uddhava, you know, he emphasizes on a different aspect, which is not Karma Yoga at all, which is mostly Sankhya Yoga. So it's like, you know, as the disciples, so the teaching looks like it. Yeah, Rajesh, that's a good point. In fact, there's a beautiful incident from Vivekan, from Vivekananda's life. And one lecture in the US, let's say like on Monday, he's saying, you know, Karma Yoga is, is ultimate. On Wednesday, uh, he's talking <laughs> that, you know, Jnana Yoga is the best. So one old lady in, in the audience, it was attended both days. She's asking Swami, on Monday, you told this, uh, why you can't completely contradicting today. The response is very beautiful and very profound, actually. He says, that was that day, that was Monday, today's Wednesday. That's all. <laughs> Good one. So, so spot on, I think, even my experience with my guru is that, right? So it's not that, he always answering to the listener, right? Not to the question. The listeners, what will help the listener? That's why even... If you look at any any of the enlightened masters Q and A side, whether it's Bhagwan Osho, there's so many contradicting answers will be there, completely contradicting answers will be there, and that's why I think uh, I mean coming back to the comment on the four uh, ashrama sites in the, in the old Vedic system, the way uh, it was done is the kid goes to a gurukul, right? So the, the enlightened master decides based on the prarabdha of the child whether he's going to become a sannyasi. Uh, because if he's burnt up a lot of the vasanas and is ready to, uh, at a point of taking that path, then he becomes a brahma, you know, the brahmacharya sannyasi. Uh, all the kids are brahmacharya first, right? And then at about 18, 19, he, some of them are initiated into sannyas, some of them are initiated into uh, grahastha, which is again Kama Sutra, right? Uh, precisely. Because again, the grahastha is a way of fulfillment, journey of fulfillment to enlightenment, right? And sannyas is again training for enlightenment. Somebody who takes the grahastha path will, will go through the, that path and become vanaprasthi, right? At some point, drop and then become sannyasi. So again, the whole thing is decided by an enlightened master's view 
based on the product of the child, right? contextualized to the child, the individual, never can be generalized, you know. And that's what I think uh, India has lost, right? Uh, the whole uh, Gurukula system, and and because of which all this chaos, right? Somebody who's a Brahmana is fitted into a Kshatriya, you know, just all this chaos and struggle with the society is that for a large extent. Yeah, so it's all contextualized to the individual. This is what is the point. Yeah, exactly. Well said. So a, a curious question, okay? So we have this construct of this Chaturvarna and, and uh, also the Varnashrama Dharma, right? But a lot of communities don't, probably don't have that uh, framework, right? And, and uh, is it... Is it that uh, the communities that don't have, or even even in the Indian community where this 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 Varnashrama Dharma, or not not necessarily more focused on the Varnas, but more on the Ashramas, that Ashrama journey, let's say, if it is lost, that knowledge is lost, or if the knowledge is not even available for certain communities, do you think that uh, those communities end up uh, being more selfish driven or quote unquote? to use very crude word, capitalist countries or capitalist society? Yeah, I believe for sure, right? Because see, the if you really look at the Indian kind of philosophy, right, or the whole idea is, you know, the, the central idea is your fulfillment is inside, right? The whole journey is to go in. That's the only direction, right? Whereas the rest of the world, I'm just going to cost we call it Western, whatever, right? The whole idea is that fulfillment is outside, joy is outside. So I need to acquire more car, more spouses, more better house, whatever, right? More spouses, uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, right. So that is that is a, that's a journey, right? But it's completely can't opposite, right? That's why you know, like you know, always. Uh, I think one will always lead to depression, right? Or I mean, you will get everything and, and you know, you still will feel unfulfilled, right? Somewhere deep down, there's there's one part that will still not be happy. And and clearly look at all these, you know, major movie stars who commit suicide, right? I mean, just, I mean, what they don't have, right? Name, fame, identification. Uh, whereas, you know, that that is that's a big difference, right? The, the direction of the journey is, is not, is completely opposite. So going out, you'll never be able to get fulfilled. Uh, so clearly, any philosophy or societal value that drives you outside, at some point, will fail with individual. Makes sense. I, I feel uh, to that point, Mukundan. Um, uh, I think it's like cyclical, right? Um, and countries, maybe we can look at it uh, as a, at a macro level as people that, that they go through the same journey of being tamasic and then to rajasic and then a more sattvic predominance uh, and it's a cycle uh, even as a country uh, if you look at uh, um, india in the past where it's there today where it's headed in the future again you can see that cyclical nature i also remember reading this in another book uh, about ramana maharshi uh, the uh, um, it's called the search in secret india um, but basically yeah, I, I, I talk, the author talks about meeting uh, with uh, one of the mystics in India, not Ramana Maharshi, somebody else. And uh, that person talks to him about, uh, about this, uh, this very same thing where um, countries go through this uh, particular cycle. 
right? So, like if you look at uh, uh, US, for instance, I, I feel it's very Rajasic, right? In the in the sense as a country, uh, it's hard to say. Uh, like for instance, the way the civic sense or the or how uh, the society is structured, obviously, again to self uh, to a lot of selfish needs and uh, outward looking that is there. But at the same time, it's very uh, to keep a country, uh, you know, to keep a city and other things clean and uh, in order, and to to follow uh, follow a certain type of uh, civil behavior and all that. It is not easy. It requires work. It requires constant work. Um, so, to me, uh, the, the country is Rajasik in that sense. Um, India in ancient times was very satric, um, and it, it's in a different cycle today. So. I, uh, I, I've thought about this, and it, it feels like countries go through this. I mean, obviously, countries determined by its people, but then as a as a people, as a um, uh, entire uh, uh, society, that uh, I think also determines what the country, where the country is at. Yeah, I think the degree of I agree there. The degree of influence changes. Right? For example, if you look at China, right? Uh, I mean, the, yeah. the Buddhist influenced. Uh, yeah. Dharma when he went there shifted them from you know from a warrior to more more um, sattvic in, like in your uh, framework yeah. right, right. And, but you know now if you look at China it's communist right nothing not, no mention of any of that so yeah I agree I mean that does tend to change um, yeah. um, I just wanted to relate an incident um, so my husband has a solar business and uh, he, uh, one of his clients is a church. And uh, he was talking to the father of, uh, at the church the other day. And uh, they got talking about, you know, violence on churches that's been happening um, in like past years and so on. So uh, my husband said to the father that, you know, the problem is not everybody is looking for a solution without like outside of themselves. But the problem is within and they need to fix the problem within. And the father said, yes, that is exactly what Christianity says also. So it's interesting how, you know, the, the different religions seem to say the same thing, but somehow the practice is not, you know, there. Hey, yeah, it's uh, it's hundred uh, percent. They're all converging to the same thing. I mean, we're talking about karma yoga and uh, and uh, you know Christianity. Everybody else, they're all uh, you know. In Kishore's words, they they talk about action. You need to take action to get things done, and it's it's basically the same thing. But ultimately, they also say you have to be devotional, right? So it's the karma yoga, not just doing karma. Yeah, action in the service of others. I think that's what yeah. Christianity also says. You know, that's what Jesus Christ did. So it's action in the service of others. Just to add to yeah. what uh, you know, Manu, you were saying right about religions, right? Uh, I just remembered this, uh, you know, a note which uh, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar spoke about, you know, on religion. So he defined religion actually as three parts: you know, values, practices, and symbols. Right. So he said at the core of the religion, every religion, the values are the same. They teach the same thing. 
right? But what they differ is basically in the practices and symbols that they use. You know, a Muslim may be using a crescent, a Christian may be using a cross. Uh, the symbols are different. At the same time, the practices are Sunday churches versus, you know, Ekadesi uh, fasting or, you know, uh, other pujas that we may have. So we differ in practices and symbols, but at the core of it, all religions say the same thing in terms of, you know, building the right human values. Yeah. So just thought I'll just share that uh, note. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, as I'm learning more, I've been on this Vedanta journey, I see more parallels with the other religions because you know uh, early on we would think that oh there are so many gods in the hindu religion versus the one formless god you know in uh, islam or in christianity but we are saying the same thing in vedant that it's you know one formless uh, you know supreme consciousness which is sort of the same thing yeah we're, we're also a monotheistic religion in that sense yeah yeah we we yeah. uh, we uh, our our ignorance you know <laughs> makes us believe that we are actually we are uh, all about all these other gods but that's really not the case i think uh, you know one of the i'm mean, going to be careful i would say this right so the i think using we have to be careful using the word all religions are the same because they are not right uh, like even this comment uh, even hinduism the whole idea, central idea is Vedanta is, there's no other, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like Christianity believes that other and service to the other, right? So there are very subtle nuances, differences. Um, they are unique. But I think if you all start applying the framework at like Shishi Ravishankar does, that's, I think that's probably a lot of why there's a issues, a lot of people not understanding all religions and, you know, there's a lot of confusion. Is they're not understanding each religion is unique and, and understanding the framework from a uniqueness. Right, versus calling it same. Uh, calling it same, there's a big, big risk because you're diluting uh, everything into one melting pot, which truly it is not. Um, you know, for example, Islam. Islam has got a very thing about a fatwa, right? Uh, and and the big difference in Islam is the um, the temple mosque is not where God resides. Right? Mosque is a place of congregation. That's same to Christianity. The central principle of of, of place of worship is a place of congregation. Whereas in Hin Hinduism, a temple is where deity resides. The minute you do Pranapakrishta, the deity lives there. Uh, subtle, other subtle differences in Islam and Christianity, the way I understand this, you can never become a Christ or you can never become Allah, right? You can, they are always above, above you to some degree in a very nuanced uh, philosophy. Whereas here, you can you become enlightened, you can say you're Krishna. And then the whole central philosophy is you are God. You are just forgetting it. And all other philosophies, you have to do something to become something else. So, I mean, there are a lot of nuanced differences. The point I'm making is I think calling it same is one of the biggest, I think, uh, um, fallacies India has gotten into. Uh, I think the last 50, 70 years, that generalization is hurting a lot. Acknowledging uniqueness and working on that is most important. That's that's a, that's a perspective. On that. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... Sorry, Ajay, I just wanted right, to say right. that my perspective is a little different. I agree completely with whatever you said. Um, and I agree that we should sort of celebrate the differences or understand and, and uh, respect the differences. But uh, I also feel like, you know, when we look for similarities, it brings us closer together and it, it eliminates, you know, the, the misunderstandings and the uh, the 
other you know negative um, sort of emotions that causes. So I, you know, from a personal standpoint, I like to look look for similarities, look for positive, you know, things in every situation and in everything. So while I agree that yes, they are different, um, and those differences are, you know, not for me to opine on. It is what it is, sort of thing. Um, so I don't agree or disagree with what they do. Um, but at the same time, I like to look for similarities so that, you know, it helps me understand them better. It helps me help them understand us better. So. Yeah, no, I think I would echo your views, uh, Manu, because the way I think about it is that, and you're right, Muku, I mean, you know, there are differences. There's no doubt about that. To, to the extent that, I mean, there would be differences between different Hindu schools also by the same, by the same sort of uh, nature. I mean, the whole idea of, uh, you know, the ultimate consciousness being one and everyone being that is, is very athletic and, uh, you know, the other schools who have a different point of view, Buddhism is different. Uh, I mean, the Eastern religions are all eminent at some level, the same, same core, but they've all obviously moved in a certain direction. Um, but, but the fact remains that the values they all propagate at the core are, are not different. Um, and I think my, my, my sort of view in, on, on the religions is, you know, where kind of the religions have gone wrong, and that's true not just for Western religions, but also for Hinduism at a certain level, is that a lot of it has been sort of vitiated by, by vested interests. I mean, there's been interpretation, for example, of the Islam, which in my opinion is completely incorrect from, if, 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 if I mean, I've read through the, I've, I've had a session with the, on, the, on the Quran or a course on the Quran, and you realize that you know what practices are followed today are really kind of uh, adulterated, uh, and so I think the core values are the same. There are obvious differences without a doubt, but I think where I think the world has kind of gone, or the religion, the whole religious kind of discourse has gone wrong, depending on who you talk to, is a lot of it is kind of not what was originally envisaged or, or propagated. So I think it's, it's a bit of a mishmash. But in terms of simplification, I don't disagree that. The fundam fundamental value systems are not 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 different. Yeah, I, I think the key difference. Uh, I mean, I agree with both of you, right? I mean, there are the similarities, no doubts about that. Uh, but I think the key point, at least my based on my limited understanding, is that ability for a human to become incarnate himself, right? That philosophy is only uniqueness to Hinduism. You know what? Where Krishna, in the last chapter says, "Yada yada," I'll come back again and again and again. Uh, and you can become that, right, in this birth. I think that is, I believe, a very central idea of Sanatana Dharma, which is, does not exist anywhere else. That's only uh, in Advaita, isn't it? Mukul? Yeah, but again, Mukul, that's very, very Advaitic, right? I mean, there are other schools of Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma which will have, you know, a distinction between, you know, Purusha and Prakriti, for example. The beauty of this uh, Sanatana Dharma is the fact that there are many parts to the same goal, you know. I think your audio is very low. But actually, sorry? Your audio is very low. No, no, I'm saying there are, you know, the beauty of Sanatana Dharma is the fact that there are multiple parts to the same goal, right? I think we appreciate and tolerate and respect, you know, much many, uh, much more parts, you know, uh, that leads to the, you know, union with God. But the only challenge I see in some of the other religions is that they're very monotheistic in their approach in terms of saying that this is the only path. I think that's where yeah. the main difference I see. But at the values, I see there is a lot of common ground. And I think if we learn to appreciate the values, 
I think we can come together as you know, uh, you know, humans, right? I think that's that's the point I have. Not taking away any credit. I mean, any point that you made, Mukundan, there are differences, and even like uh, you know, Ajay spoke. I think we also have this philosophy of Dvaitam, Vishishadvaitam, and you know, Advaitam, right? So there are three different kinds of schools of thoughts of how one can evolve. So not taking away any uh, point there, but I think. Um, uh the key difference i see is you know the fact that uh, we have many paths to the same goal yeah yeah also, and I, think... I i totally agree with that and i think that is really one of the really powerful things about hinduism is that hey, the uh, tolerance Manu, that when i'm not able to hear you i don't know if it's my can problem or can you hear me now we can we can hear you we, we can hear you in here it's good okay. maybe it's it's Go ahead, um, yeah, I was just saying that, you know, it, I think it, it's uh, the single most powerful thing about the about Hinduism is the tolerance that, um, you know, it, it it's sort of intrinsic to this religion or, you know, to Hinduism, if you can even call Hinduism a religion, um, the tolerance, because there's so many different ways to achieve, you know, the same thing, which is not the case with the other uh, other big religions anyway, um, they are very set in their ways. They have very defined practices and very defined sort of uh, views on how one might attain, you know, um, a, a better place in life. But that's not the case with Hinduism. And that's why I feel like, you know, we are more sort of uh, uh, prepared or, or, you know, we, we have that, that ability to see the larger picture which maybe they don't. And hopefully, you know, we can help other religions start to see some of what we are saying. Because the, like the, the whole thing that they talk about, oh, you know, it's uh, uh, you guys have so many gods. It's just such a very, you know, basic and, and uh, misunderstanding that everybody has. But it's not easy to, you know, if, if we also don't know how to counter that or explain things to them, then uh, it becomes hard to have that conversation in a meaningful way. But I, I really feel that, you know, uh, I, I'm very thankful to <laughs> the, the circumstances that have led me to be part of this religion and in this, you know, learning all, all these, um, you know, these having all these learnings, having the opportunity to learn about Advaita, because it, it really expands, you know, it has expanded my way of thinking. I, I, I was never religious. I always was, you know, I went to temples and churches and, uh, you know, dargas and everything. I had no, I, I did not differentiate between religions even before, but it really has helped me understand our religion better and be able to help people, you know, if, if there is a conversation, I can certainly help them understand what, what we are all about. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to, you raised your hand, you want to, you have, you have anything to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, thanks. Uh, just a quick uh, comment or thought. Um, I think all religions, uh, the way we define a religion, that the, we can get into the definition of what a religion is and all that. But all the religions definitely, um, the, the values they convey and trying to get harmony and uh, be in the service of others, do action to get things done. 
all of those are very convergent uh, the the aspect that i have come to learn in the last couple of years is philosophically there are there might be differences you know it's i think subhu was mentioning there are different paths to the same goal so advaita might be one path uh believing in the christ might be another path and and so on and so forth um and anyone um i've also noticed that people who get in quote and quote enlightened right they uh seem to converge on this uh, concept of consciousness whether it's uh, christianity or or whoever uh, however they have grown up the consciousness principle seems to be a very important aspect um and i i don't even know you know muku we can uh, debate this uh, separately <laughs> i don't know if it's a very unique thing but definitely you know bhagavad gita and upanishads talk very much about the consciousness principle like uh, like uh, um no other works a piece of works do no no good uh, good 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 can yeah. i can i just pass you i think what mukku mm-hmm. said the unique part is that consciousness is you that is what is the unique part that's what he said is it consciousness is there every every religion understands but his point was that yeah you can claim you as in an individual can claim that you are that consciousness that's the difference yeah yeah so the individual consciousness equivalent to the universal consciousness right so that that's definitely a unique concept um and whoever comes across this type of a concept is definitely captivated by it and uh, uh, until we we become again quote unquote enlightened we can philosophically uh, debate it and keep thinking and and talking about it uh, but uh, if we talk to those people who are uh, the enlightened souls they all seem to be kind of communicating the same concept uh, in different ways that's uh, that's where i am at least as of today yeah, yeah. i just want one one comment uh, i think I, there was a vashishta advaita vedanta and all that right i think the central principle i was saying is all of them agree that you can be be, be reborn and become divine right merge with divine in some central way right whether you be, you are the god or whether you merge into krishna uh, or all those no variances are there but they say the possibility the only purpose you have is to become that and you come you can be reborn right parma's rebirth is inbuilt into the whole philosophical process which i don't think exists uh, based at least yeah. my understanding that right. philosophy does not exist that's right that's right, right. So yeah. that is that is what i'm saying the key difference is when i'm saying you becoming possibility opens up the whole idea that the whole cyclical birth rebirth happens and the only purpose is to become that and that could be advaita ashishta advaita based on how your thought process is right and, uh, when that's that's a point i was making there are various okay. philosophies but the central idea you could become whatever that ultimate belief each philosophy has uh, by you, even if you don't make it again this birth you come back again and again and again and again that the only statement that you will achieve that goal strongly is not given by any other philosophies okay. that that's a distinction i was making i, I mean on, what, a, to... on, a, on a lighter Sweet. note you know uh, yesterday we saw the yolo somewhere my daughter was saying you know yolo and i told her well that's not really true you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
but at, 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 at a more fundamental level sorry just one thought you know uh, i think if you look at the western religions and a vast majority of hindus as well right and again i was in the same zone till about a couple of years ago you know the belief is in a saguna brahman right whether yeah. it is jesus or allah or 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 shiv or whoever right you know or millions of gods right that's kind of that's the kind of the the general view if you look at sort of across humanity right i mean it's only kind of a, a smaller sort of set of people who kind of get to a the next level. Problem, and i and i would think of it as like a process of evolution uh, and as spg says you know the fact that we're kind of in this place is we're fortunate right that we are in a vedanta sort of conversation right and so I, the view is that all of them will kind of sort of at some level get there and so there's no they or us or something like that i mean all of us will kind of be on this path of evolution spiritually and get to a point where we'll kind of eventually sort of get cross and get moksha and if you if you listen to all the swami they say every single of us will get moksha it's only a matter of time whether it's you know 100 birds or a million birds i don't know so in a way sort of you know for us you know while you write uh, mukud that hinduism at the at the philosophical level is very different but the, that's really in my my head it's all a process of evolution and and you know the western a lot of the western people will are also kind of getting drawn to spirituality because they are probably more evolved than some of the other people i guess and you know if we uh, since we all do believe in rebirth and it's it's us taking births in those forms also right some of us are going to be reborn as christians or muslims yeah, or whatever exactly exactly so yeah i, I so, so this us versus them them is something which really bothers me because i don't think there's us versus them we're all sort of yeah. one that's the fundamental hey, thing uh, the other guys just just sort of take a time out on this just take a time out on this uh, on this topic and because uh, uh, i have an agenda to drive for the last 10 minutes vp you raised your hand and you put it down again do you have any comments on this particular topic and then we can probably you know we'll uh, it's a polite conversation but we will stop this conversation after your comment yeah no no i was just saying why are we discussing various religions because <laughs> um, it's it's sort of so tangential to what we are focused on um, so that was one point um, but since i have the stage now i will just make the point that i agree more with buku and uh, from what i have learned from spg also he talks a lot about this that only in advaita philosophy uh, the moksha is available to you in this birth now whereas in all the other religions it is all about after death and then that in itself is a big 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 difference between the religions of the west and at least the eastern uh, religions or at least the advaita philosophy so i'll stop at that okay because i Thank can you. go on and on about the differences yeah 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 guns you raised your hand um, if yeah. it is related to this topic you you definitely have yeah, the last no. word but then no more after this 10 10 seconds so uh, only 10 seconds and it is related to the topic so reincarnation my understanding is it doesn't have to be this planet it's the entire universe so we don't have to come back here as a as a muslim or a dog or a christian or a hindu or whatever we can be we can become a being in the universe uh, so it doesn't have to physically come back to planet earth 
is is my understanding that that's all i just wanted to share because the the brahman is is uh, you know the the universe itself is part of the that okay cool thanks that's a really interesting debate the last 10 minutes so i still see ajay you raised your hand on this yeah no i i raised my hand not not to talk on the same topic uh, no okay uh, i want to kind of bring it back to practically okay. okay. words so let, let me I... not be let me not be too rude to everybody is anybody having any comments on this topic that we talked so far can i say <laughs> <laughs> yeah <I'll put> <laughs> <laughs> no, 10 what, seconds this is awesome 10 seconds only laugh about it <laughs> yeah no 10 seconds only <laughs> I, no. i i think we should do a detour i think we should do a detour on the religions of the world <laughs> i was saying if we are all willing to do mandukya janmi nahi hai to punar janam kya aur koi religion bhi kya that's all good one i feel said ये पूरा नाटक है पूरा नाटक है ओके अजय थ्री मिनट्स माय पॉइंट यू नो कमिंग बैक टू 5.2 एंड आई वाज लुकिंग एट द टू लिटरल ट्रांसलेशंस ऑफ वर्सेस द फर्स्ट वन सेज दैट यू नो बोथ द पाथ्स ऑफ कर्म सन्यास एंड कर्म योगा व्हिच इज रिनंसिएशन ऑफ एक्शन एंड वर्किंग इन डिवोशन लीड टू द सुप्रीम गोल बट कर्म योगा इज superior to to uh, karma sanyasa right and then if you go to uh, 5.4 he says only the ignorant talk of uh, karma sanyasa and karma yoga as different i mean two very contradictory statements and i wonder if you know this is going to get addressed in the verses ahead but i was kind of quite intrigued by the literal translations of both these verses so my understanding there was uh, you know the end product the goal is the same uh, for both right uh, it's just that the process and the path is slightly different and whatever understanding i have is when you are in the prakriti karma is inevitable right so one needs to you know if you are in the prakriti you are in born in the world you you know you cannot escape karma so you need to do that but amongst the two he says is karma yoga is easier and also a superior path for the simple reason it gives you better experiences and learning along the way right and right. not many people can be coming up with the knowledge from you know the start that's that's my understanding and take yeah yeah no because he, he very explicitly says that it's superior and that might be because yeah, more yeah. people are able to do karma but then he goes on to say that only the ignorant speak of it as different so yeah i mean i think there is a subtle so the end state to... both are the same because they give the yeah. same fruit and uh, it's just that the processes are different that's my understanding i have taken yeah yeah okay i actually the way that i understood that is very simply 99.99999% recurring decimal of the people needs to know need to know a path because they are not at quote unquote the knowledge but there is that one or few minuscule percentage of people who really don't see any advaita so there's no words there so when there are no words that they express you know if they are doing any activity also for whom are they doing the activity is there activity at all is there any they versus others there's nothing nothing existing there so till such time that state is achieved you know for the rest of the people 
we have to show a path. That's what Krishna is showing. Yeah. Fair enough. So if if we as individuals today are in our mind are differentiating between, let's say, selfless activity, desire-driven activity, and sannyasa and all that, that means clearly, you know, we have the theoretical knowledge, but we probably have not, not it become that. All right, dot 720. Uh, we probably don't need all the 10 minutes to do a quick voting. So here is the proposition, right? This is, uh, uh, this is you know, based on the discussions what we've been having for the last couple of weeks on, on, the, on the chat. Maybe I'll just stop the uh, recording for a second. 